Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. about uh, 30 years ago I was uh, addicted to heroin and methadone and um, one morning I woke up sick I had to drive 60 miles to the methadone clinic to get my dose and I had some heroin I did it it didn't take away the sickness like the sickness is like the worst flu you ever had maybe times twice Um, so I took off I got about uh, 10-15 minutes from the clinic and the sickness went away Um, And so I was so relieved, I just kind of bowed my head and I plowed into a tree head-on in a little sports car, a couple teeth were sticking through my lip and I realized I needed help, there was blood. It all happened so fast and I felt somebody looking at me, so I looked up and there's a guy looking through the window, he said, if you get out of the car, I'll give you a ride to the hospital. So I grabbed the little knob, the door came open and he gave me a ride to the hospital, my life was changed. and all within about three months he took it away and I found myself going to church. I I think I I just was on fire to learn more about my God and and the one who loved me and has given me another chance, has given me power over this um, problem I have and had. What I believe is, as I look at the early church, how they started out and they met daily and they went from house to house, breaking bread and fellowship and teaching. And I think we, the Lord has made us a family, and I think it's very important. And that's one of the reasons I uh, like ACF is uh, I feel, feel respected here, feel honored. My name is Daniel, and that's why I need church.
There we go. That's better. Well, good morning, everybody. What an amazing story from Daniel. If you haven't met him, he is an amazing man who God has changed uh, in amazing ways. I want to uh, let you know my name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church. And happy Father's Day to all of the fathers that are here uh, with us this morning. From one father to another, I just want to let you know that I know the work is hard and it's done mostly in places that nobody sees. But I want to let you know that this generation needs us, needs you to lean in now more than ever to reveal to them the glory and honor and awesomeness that is our God. So don't give up in that work. The effort is worth it. I want to welcome those who are watching us uh, online, and especially Pastor Josh and his crew uh, down in Mexico. Just, hey, you, I got something special for you in just a few minutes, so hang in there. Um, you'll enjoy it. Uh, so I just want to let you know uh, we are walking through uh, the book of Acts, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 as part of our series called Who Needs Church? And Acts, the book of Acts, is a book in the New Testament in Scripture, and it is written by a, a man named Luke, and Luke wrote another book called Luke, which is awesome. It's easy to remember that. But in Luke, he talks about really the, the life and death of Jesus and what all of that meant. And Acts picks up right where the book of Luke leaves off. And so we get to see really what happens when Jesus is back on the earth at the start and he hands that baton of faith off to his disciples. And we see what really is the first group of community of believers, the church, being formed uh, through the Holy Spirit empowering these early believers. And we see that baton that has been passed down all the way to us. And so we're going to continue to look at this book. And ACF, we say that we are the church, a community of believers for the church, the unchurched, and the dechurched. I don't know about you, I grew up in the church. And for me, I had a great experience. I could ask questions, I could be challenged, I could have doubts, and I had great men and women who invested in me as I grew up. And so I've never walked away from the church. I've, I still have questions. I still have doubts. But I've always found a welcome family and a community. Maybe your story is not like that. Maybe you were in church growing up and you had questions and you couldn't find the answers. Or maybe you weren't even allowed to ask them. You couldn't express doubt without being looked down upon. What's wrong with you? And so you walked away and you've come back to check it out. Maybe it's different this time. Maybe this is your very first Sunday ever in the doors of a church, and you happen to be driving by, and you said, I want to check out whatever church is meeting at Eagle River High School. It's got to be okay. And you're here. And I want to let you know that regardless of your background, regardless of who you are this morning, we are so glad that you are here. I am glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And there is a place for you at ACF. There is a place for you in our family here. Uh, you can have doubts. You can have questions, and we hope that you will find answers here. Uh, in week one of uh, Who Needs Church series, Pastor Brian had a fence up here, and if you were here, you can remember that picket fence. I'm, Mason's going to be upset. I just pushed one of his buttons. Um, don't tell him. And he had the fence, and he used it as an illustration of how we live our lives, right? We sit on that fence, not wanting to jump in to following Jesus with both feet, not wanting to be all in following Jesus, but really kind of having that perch and watching other people do that. Maybe thinking, is it okay to do that, but I kind of like my other life. I kind of like doing what I want to do when I want to do it, and that's really what it is. And one of the things he said that is still like it is going around inside my head is he said, the enemy owns the fence. 
And that, that means that it's not neutral ground. I always thought of it as neutral ground. I can take a break from this Jesus thing and sit on the fence, right? And it's okay. But the reality is when I do that, what I am doing is I'm giving ground to the enemy. I'm serving a different master, and I don't even realize it. So I don't know if you found that as challenging as well. But our hope is through this series that you will see the community, the grace, the power that is in the church. That it is not something to be sneered at or looked away from, but you will see a community of believers striving to serve their God. Um, And that's what we want to do this morning. So we're going to open up by uh, reading uh, from Acts chapter 3. So this is going to be a little bit weird. And this is where, this is Josh, this is going to be for you. So um, when I was in seminary in 1996, one of the first assignments I had was to paraphrase Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, which just happens to be the passage I get to preach from this morning. And we had to paraphrase it in a little bit different way. So I wrote a rap, and I'm wondering if it's okay to have some fun in church this morning. Is it okay? Okay. What I have learned, though, I, I am a good student of people. I love watching people. That from watching Pastor Josh... The hat makes all the difference. So, (laughs) my wife sneered and laughed at me when I bought one of these hats because I make fun of them. Like, they defeat the whole purpose of having a hat when you can't. Anyway, (laughs) enough said. I apologize in advance. This is a wrap of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, from the perspective of the beggar. But I need your help. Can you go ahead and stand up for just, just humor me. Stand up for just a second. You're going to be part of this too. If I'm going to suffer, if you're going to suffer, I'm going to suffer too. So what I need you to do is help me keep the beat because I'm 49 years old and rapping is just not natural. So I'm going to, here we go. I'm going to try and set a good rhythm here. Now don't speed up. I am a beggar whose legs are pitiful. My friends lead me daily to the gate called beautiful. It's three o'clock, tick-tock, tick-tock, pulling out religious folks with such a crock-crock. Walking by me, day without a donation. In front of a nation. Let me do that one again. Walking by me all day without a donation. In front of the temple. What an abomination. Wait a minute, hold on, got to get my cup out. Here come two, and I hope with a handout. That's strange, that's odd, they're not passing by. Now they're patting me too, look them in the eye. Silver and gold I cannot bless. By the power of God, I'll fix this mess. Why is he pulling me up? You know I can't walk. Feeling pretty tiny like Jack in the beanstalk. Holy, holy cow, this Jesus is so strong. Look, now my legs are real long. Everybody's looking at me in the temple. No longer a beggar at the gate called beautiful. All right, you can have a seat. My kids had fun with me playing with that, so I thought it was now after 23 years that I would launch my glorious rap career here at ACF Church. I hope we could laugh and have some fun, right? Um, if you were here the last few weeks, you've got the little bookmark. Um, I hope you're using it. It help, will help keep you up to where we are in the book of Acts as we go through this book throughout the summer, and we really take a look, a hard look at what the church is what it isn't, and what it's supposed to be. So I challenge you to keep up with that. So as I looked at Acts chapter 3, what I did see um, was 
an overarching question that kept coming to my mind, and maybe it's a question that you also ask yourself, and that really is, what, what is it that God wants me to do in my life? That's a pretty big question. What is it that God wants me to be doing with my life? If you're like me, you have a lot of people telling you what you should be doing with your life. If you're a student, you probably got parents telling you this is what you need to be doing right now in your life, maybe cleaning your room or going to school. Maybe your spouse is telling you what to do. Your job, your employer is telling you what to do, what you should be focused on, what is meaningful for you in your life. And maybe even internally you wrestle with, is what I'm doing meaningful? So maybe a middle school or high school student, maybe you're wondering, like, as people ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you give them an answer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer, an engineer, an electrician. I'm going to be a nurse, whatever that might be. Maybe you believe it, maybe you don't. Maybe you think that's meaningful. Maybe you just do that because it sounds good out loud. Maybe you're in your early 20s and you're on your, in your first career. Maybe that's military or maybe that's a trade. Or maybe you've decided to go on to further education. And you're wondering if this is the right path for you. If this is really what you want to be doing for the next 30 or 40 years in your life. Maybe you've been working for a long time in the same job. Or maybe you're on your second, third, or fourth career. And you're kind of looking back now and wondering... Did I waste a lot of time doing this when I should have been doing something else that God wanted me to be doing? Maybe you're through working and you're watching grandkids all the time and, and you're fishing out in Alaska and you can't get over the fact that there's a, a nagging feeling that maybe you've wasted your life. It's too late to do what God really wanted you to do. But I have good news to answer the question, what does God want me to be doing with my life? As we look in Acts chapter 3, I think we will find a very simple answer. Um, and I want to look at that today. I think it, our text gives that to us. So for real now, if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Even though I think my paraphrase is in the original Greek, it is totally true to that. We'll read this other version here. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you've got an ACF app, it'll be, you can look it up there as well. It's on your notes. Uh, as we put it a lot of places, you can also just relax and listen. It anyway works. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, it's called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I love this. You got Peter and John, first of all, the characters in our story today that are being focused on. Peter, who just a couple of months ago denied Jesus three times, ending with, I don't even know the man. Right? And so he's here, and he's the center focal point. We have John, likely the brother of James, who also wrote the Gospel of John. 
you got two people, and if you've ever thought you've, you're too far gone, you've got, like I said, Peter who has denied Jesus, who is now one of the leaders of the early church. You can never go too far away that God can't reach you and redeem you and bring you back to life. It's amazing. We serve an awesome God. So we're here, and they continued the Jewish tradition at the time, which was praying three times a day, and it says it's at the ninth hour. It's not nine o'clock, which would make sense, but we're going to do some Israelite math. Okay, so they start the day at 6 a.m., so the third hour would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour would be 12 noon, and the ninth hour would be 3 p.m., so we're kind of later in the afternoon at the time of prayer, and if you were a good Israelite, at those three times during the day, you would stop what you were doing, and if you were outside the city of Jerusalem, no matter where you were, you would pray towards the city of Jerusalem. If you were inside the city, you would pray towards the temple compound, which was up on a big hill. You couldn't miss it. If you were inside the temple, you would pray towards the Holy of Holies, which is where it said God dwelled. So they were being good Israelites by doing this. The temple had several gates, and I think it's interesting, and this is where I start taking like maybe a sidetrack today. I hope that's all right that we can do that. Because it helps me to understand what's going on and brings this story, not just as a nice story, but to, true to life. What did this really look like? How did this really happen? And so I start asking myself about the temple. And the temple had several gates. In fact, the actual temple itself had ten gates. But where did we get the temple? That's another question that I start wondering. Like, why is there a temple in Israel? So I want to go back, kind of way back. Do you remember... Abraham, or Abram, when he is approached by God, God says, if you will follow me, I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will be more than you can count. So Abraham follows him. Let me do this. I apologize. I know it's bumping, but um, Abraham has a kid, Isaac, right? God reaffirms that with Isaac. I will make you a great nation if you follow me. Isaac has Jacob, his son. Jacob wrestles with God, and his name is changed by God to Israel, which means contending with God or wrestles with God, because there's a story where, he, where Jacob wrestles with God. Well, Jacob slash Israel has 12 kids, and eventually those 12 kids, well, 11 of them sell, well, 10 of them sell Joseph into slavery to a slave trader passing by, because they hate him, and he ends up in Egypt, and God raises him up in Egypt all the way to the second in command under Pharaoh. Well, then a, a famine happens, and Jacob, Israel's family, ends up coming into Egypt to eat, to, to stay alive. And they stay there. They end up staying there. They get reunited with Joseph. God, they realize God used it to preserve the family. They stay in Egypt. They multiply so big that when a new Pharaoh comes in, he's kind of fearful that these Israelites are going to start contending for the country and so he enslaves them he puts the yoke of slavery on them doesn't honor any of the family history but they become a huge nation even as slaves and eventually God sends Moses in to bring them out into the desert through the Red Sea if you remember and keeps them alive in the desert in that desert as Pastor Jonathan talked about last week that pillar of cloud and fire led them that was a representation of God leading his people. Go this way and they would follow. And then at some point, God says, I want you to make a tabernacle. I want you to make a tent, basically. If you think of a skinned tent, um, and it's gonna have some things inside it. 
and they would, God would dwell there. And it was a representation for the Israelites to know that God was with them. God is bigger than the universe. Everything we see is created by him, so he can't dwell in there, but he chooses to make his presence known there to give us as people a focal point as we worship God. And so we have the tabernacle. So now you fast forward to King David. After they've gone into the land, he wants to build a temple so that God can have a house because he's kind of like looking around going, I live in an awesome house, and the God I serve has a tent made of skin. So he, he asked God, can I build a house for you? And God says, no. Your son will. Solomon is his son. So Solomon ends up building this insanely awesome temple. So we have a picture. On the left is Solomon's temple. It doesn't look so big compared to another temple, Herod's temple, which we'll talk about in just a second. But that's the original temple. That's about the size. It's still pretty big because if you look down here at a football field, I don't know if you can see that. I'm probably right in your way. But um, it's, it's about two-thirds the size of a football field. So it's still a pretty impressive structure, right? Well, it gets, eventually, Israel, they wander away from God here and there, and the temple kind of ends up getting completely destroyed, eventually. And Herod, in 20 BC, is, wants to make his splendor known, and he wants to honor the Jewish people, so he decides to build a huge temple over top of the old one, where the old one would have been. It wasn't there. So he builds this temple, uh, Herod's temple, and, of course, he wants it to be insanely massive. So this is the temple... 20 AD it started. It didn't finish work until 70 AD when it was destroyed. So it's sad that it literally was only a finished temple for maybe three or four years before it got torn down again. Um, But at the time of Jesus, this is pretty much what it would have looked like. It may have been a work in progress. I don't know if you've been over to Europe where they're working on some of the major churches and they've got construction cranes and things going on. It probably had a little bit of that going on. They were probably working on it in process at the time of Jesus. But this would have been the very place Jesus would have walked through. So let me just, I I didn't know all this stuff. So I hope it's okay that I share a little bit of this so you can see the scene that we're talking about where this, this healing of this lame man happens. So the big building over to the left is, it, it's got a couple of rooms over there. The, the furthest most room to the west is called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is a box. That's it. There's a box in there. And it's called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a very pretty box. And it's where God has chosen to dwell. Is above this box. And they call it the mercy seat because they say God comes down and, and dwells that place. Okay, so if you step back from that going east, there's a big thick curtain. Pastor Jonathan talked about that being, God being released when that curtain was torn as Jesus was crucified. That God was released onto mankind. And and that's really how we ultimately get the church. So going out from there, you're in the holy place. And the holy place had three pieces of furniture in it. It had this table where they put bread, fresh bread all the time. And then it had an altar where they burned incense. And the incense was a special combination of spices and scents that God gave them and said this is the only place you may burn that combination of spices is here so there's a unique smell to it you have fresh bread you have that and then you have this golden lampstand that has oil in it that is burning 24 7 all the time to illuminate that room and it also has that odor this was a good smelling room I love the smell of fresh-baked anything. It just always smells great. So fresh-baked bread every day in this room is pretty phenomenal. If you step out east through a gate, you're going to be in the court of the priests. And in the court of the priests, just continuing right down this, 
is the altar, a huge altar. They would sacrifice animals here. They would sprinkle blood everywhere. They would burn some stuff. Uh, they would take other stuff outside the camp. Um, it was pretty bloody. They, had big, they also had big basins of water out here to wash up. It had to have smelled, I don't know if you've ever butchered an animal, both good and bad. It had to smell like a giant barbecue, but also kind of nasty as well. It was probably a very messy place. Just beyond that, to the right, you're going to have the court of Israel. And it's not separated. So, and this is where the, the male Israelites, Jewish men, could access. They didn't have to be priests. The court of Israel, you had to be a Levite or a, a priest called by God to be in there. Uh, the Holy of Holies, just to give you an idea, they've mentioned it uh, the last couple of weeks, but one time in a year, one guy got to go into the Holy of Holies, and that's it. Anyone else going in would be killed by God. That was a pretty special place. The holy place, you had to be clean, you had to ha- have business in there, but you had to be a priest or a Levite to be accessed there. Court of Israel, again, priest or Levites only. The, then we bring, I'm sorry, the court, court of priests. Court of Israel, you had to be uh, a male to be there. Going east through another gate, you're going to be in the court of women. And it's a kind of a misnomer because it's a court not just for women, But women were allowed there, but also men would be there. So Jewish men and women only would be in that court. And they could gather, they could hear teaching, they could worship, uh, they could bring their their animals or sacrifices through. They could get a view even from there, even though everything in the temple from east to west goes up. So you get, and they always have a little bit of a wall. So if if you're a woman, you get kind of a view. If you're a man, you get a better view. If you're a priest, you get front row seats. So you see what's really happening. You're taking part in all this stuff. As you go further east, through the court of women, there's, and on this diagram it says, you can't read it maybe, but the gate beautiful, or the beautiful gate, which is another huge gate. And then you're into the court of Gentiles, which surrounds the entire actual temple structure. So you're in the, the temple compound is this huge, giant court. And you, um, Anybody could be there. I could be there. I'm a Gentile. I could be in the court of Gentiles, right? So I could come. I couldn't see really what was going on in the temple itself. I could see smoke maybe coming up. I could smell some of this stuff going on. I could hear some of things, but I never got to see it. I never got a great view. I just knew it was happening. So this, this beggar in our story, it says the beautiful gate. The hard part, though, is that nowhere in Scripture... Does it tell us which gate is called the beautiful gate? All the other gates have names that we can identify where they are. This was a nickname for this gate. They were just saying it's the, it's the gate everyone knows it's the most beautiful gate. So then we have to kind of do some detective work. And most of the gates in the temple were plated in gold. They were all pretty huge gates. And they were very ornate. This one gate, though, leading from the court of women to the court of the Gentiles was actually made of Corinthian bronze. And it was said to be so heavy that it took 20 strong men to open and close it every day. And it was actually more impressive and considered more valuable than all the other gates in the temple. And so that's likely where that beggar would be. It also is a great choking point for all those worshipers coming to the temple to worship who might be like, I need to get right with God by maybe helping this man out on the way to worship. Or those who have just come from worship and are feeling a little bit like, I probably should do something good for somebody. And on the way out. So it was a great place for him to be. And they all knew who he was. And I think since it's mentioned twice in this passage, the beautiful gate, that it's worth noting where that actually occurred. 
Uh, it's, it's an important part of our story. When God says something twice, I think we ought to pay attention, right? Um, so he's at this beautiful gate. It also means that the people probably recognized him, knew him. It says in the story that we just read that they recognized him after he had stood up. That's the man who has been begging over there at that gate. We know him. We've been coming here for years, and that man's never once stood up. And in fact, in Acts chapter 4, we find out that this man is over 40 years old. He's almost my age, not quite, but close. And he has never once stood up on his own feet to walk. And now he is walking. So Peter and John probably grew up going up to the temple. And they're continuing that tradition. And when they see this man, I love it. Peter says, look at me. Look at me. I don't know. How many of you have kids? How many of you have kids here? A good number of you. And if you don't, I'm going to give you some valuable advice here. So when my kids, when I give commands at my house, I would like to think that they follow them, but they really don't. In fact, they know that if I give a command, if, I, if my desire is expressed, they scatter, they disappear, right? They'll turn their head first, and then they'll turn, if I get really serious, they'll turn their back and walk out of the room quietly if they can. And so what I've learned to do is I will say, look me in the eyes, and I want to lock eyes with them. Why? Because something important is coming their way, and I want them to hear it. I want them not to miss it. So in my house, my kids will tell you, if I say, look me in the eyes, that means I know you're not going to get away from this. You will listen and do what I want done. It's an important thing happening. And I think Peter and John are doing the very same thing. Look at me. We're not just somebody else who's going to toss something to you, but we want you to understand and take in exactly what's happening in this situation. As soon as the man stands up, word gets out, right? So if we healed somebody in this room today, if there was somebody who came every week and they were lame from birth, right, and one of you stood up and said, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. And he stood up. Like, I think we might pause our service for a moment and gather around this person and come check out and see what was happening. And then maybe you would even go get your kids. Hey, come, come. You know that person who's been coming to our church forever? They're walking right now. It's amazing. you got to come see this. Same thing. Like, the temple's clearing out, coming towards these, what's going on because word is getting out. Something just happened. You know that beggar who's at the gate that we all see, that we kind of try to ignore and, and walk by? And, but he's walking. He's stand, no, he can't stand. He's been, like, his, have you seen his feet? They're, they're nasty. Like, he can't even walk. No, he's over there. He's jumping up. He's leaping for joy. They're going to go check out what's going on. And that's what it is. Hope has been ignited. Like, what? Something cool has happened. And so they're running towards that. And I love that Peter says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's not just by accident. He's choosing his words very carefully. He's in the temple, right? And so he says, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the chosen one, the ones the Jewish nation were looking forward to. He makes it clear. Jesus, the one that God has chosen, of Nazareth. So he's being very specific. Oh, you know, that Jesus a couple months ago you, you killed. So then he goes on, and that's kind of how he starts out his message. He sees this opportunity with everybody around him, and so he's, now he's going to start to speak and explain a little bit, because they're starting to think Peter's like a super-powered magician. So he's, he addresses the crowd, and we continue on in verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. So while he, the beggar, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them, at the portico called Solomon's. That's just a fancy way of saying Solomon's porch. So on the very east side of that temple, there was a covered canopy section with posts 
where people would come in out of the rain or out of the weather, and they would teach, they would get together and have community, uh, they would sing, they would worship. Uh, it was a common place to be. In fact, we read Jesus actually did things at Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. It's just named after in honor of Solomon, the builder of the first temple. Um, so that's where they are. So that's a fancy way of saying that. And when Peter saw, uh, saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I love that Peter, he makes this, why do you wonder at this? And so I think his first point is like, hey, we serve a God who can do anything. But yet you're wondering, like, how can this man stand up? Like, nobody had seen that. Why is this man standing? He shouldn't be standing. Now he's standing. And Peter's like, this is no big deal. This is, this is the, we're talking about God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sound familiar? That God, the God you are serving right now or worshiping, that God made this man strong. The name of Jesus has made this man strong. And it's not Peter. It's not by he got himself super holy and worked up and decided to go into the temple and heal somebody. It's simply by the power of Jesus Christ that this man is walking. Peter's just taking advantage of an opportunity. And don't miss, I think there's some irony here in verse 15. It says, Peter addresses this crowd, and this is how he kind of starts off his message to tell them about Jesus. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Do you see the irony in that statement? He's telling this group of Jewish people, maybe Gentiles there as well, the guy who gave you life, yeah, you killed him. And they would have remembered it. It was only a couple months ago. You killed that guy. He was the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Peter's making a connection. It worked then. I wouldn't recommend starting your conversation with your friends out that way. Um, I don't think that would go over super good. But Peter knew his audience. Many of these people probably were in that very court when Jesus was being brought through. And they were yelling, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And they would remember. And Peter's making them remember. But don't worry, there's hope. And he gives them hope right away. If we were to read on in verse uh, 19 of this chapter, it says, Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter gives them hope. And remember, repent is a changing of your mind that leads to an action. It's a belief change. It's a changing of direction of thinking, not just an action change. And I think we, we attribute that. I just got to change what I do, and I'll be okay. But it's, it's who you are that leads to what you do, right? And so what Peter is saying to them, 
a few months ago, you killed this guy, but it's not too late. You can repent. You can change your mind about him. He's not evil. He's for you. He wants to give you something, a new life. You can change your mind and believe that he is the one sent by God to give you a, a resurrected life. So Peter gives them hope right away, and I love that. So now I want to kind of back off a little bit from the passage and take a little bit higher view or a higher flyby view of what's going on here. We've looked at some of the details, but what's the main point? What are some of the lessons that we can do? And the first thing is I see maybe a pattern to be emulated that we see in Peter and John. And the first thing they do is they put themselves in places where people will be. They go about their life, which was normal for them, to go and pray at the temple. They put themselves in places where people would be. They looked for needs. They met the needs with what they had. They didn't have money. And if you think back to Acts chapter 2, the reason they didn't have any money in that instance is probably because it says in the end of Acts chapter 2 that all the believers were of one mind and they pooled all their stuff together. They took care of each other. They gave themselves money or gave each other money to take care of who had needs. So Peter and John literally probably had no money in their pockets at that point, emptied out the pockets. We have nothing. But what I do have, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit, I give you. They gave what they had. And then that created an opportunity. And they took advantage of that opportunity to share about the truth of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want you to take home. And it's on your notes if you're taking notes. It's the only thing to fill in. So I know some of you have been waiting very eagerly. Like, what is he ever going to get to this? When and what is this? So here it is. Give what you have to share what you know. It's very simple. But I like simple because I can remember it. Give what you have to share what you know. And that's exactly what Peter and John are doing. They are in a position where they can see the need and they meet the need with what they have been given and then they have an opportunity and they take advantage of that to share what they know with the people. Some of you are super wealthy. Some of you have insane gifts to be able to to develop and start businesses and they're super successful. Some of you have minds like calculators. Some of you can draw pictures that are unbelievably beautiful. Some of you have just a heart to serve like nobody else's. Some of you can see solutions when there's problems. Some of you have the gift of of speaking and teaching others. You all have things that you have been given that nobody else has. And it's God's job to give you those things, not anyone else's. But if you're like me, I I find that I'm looking at other people thinking, "I I want what they have. Because if I had what they had, I'd be able to meet more opportunities or meet more needs so that I'd have more opportunities to share about Jesus. But God didn't make me like you, and he didn't make you like your neighbor. He made you like you. We do have some things in common, though. We all have, have, we all have lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. And we all have a story of how that happened and is happening because it doesn't stop. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're really starting a journey from what you used to be as a a person dead to God to now alive in Jesus Christ and how that happened. My story, I told you a little bit of it. I grew up in the church. I'm going to guess that you have a different story of how you fell in love with Jesus if you're sitting here this morning. 
And our fear sometimes can keep us from sharing our story. Only I had a, a, a better story. People would listen to me. I'd have a powerful uh, thing to say to somebody. God gave you your story because he knows it's powerful enough because Jesus plus anything is whole. God is in the business of taking broken people like you and me and making us whole through Jesus Christ. And what he has given you in your story is enough. We all share that in common. So give what you have to share what you know. So as I was thinking and looking through Acts chapter 3, I think it's important to see that I saw four different people that God is raising up in this passage. The first one is the beggar who gets healed. Peter literally grabs him by the right hand and, and raises him up. Jesus Christ, it says, was raised from the dead by the power of God. Peter was raised as a dead man to God through Jesus Christ is now alive. So Peter's life was dra- drastically changed because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he passed that faith on. And guess what? If you have faith in Jesus, you're a beneficiary of the same faith that he had. Because he was faithful to share, you heard the message. And your life was changed through Jesus Christ. God has raised you up. And there was those people in the crowd when Peter was speaking. And there were those people here and in our community who God wants to raise up because they hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And they learn about the fact that they can have a relationship with the God who created them. The four different categories of people who were raised up in this passage. So the answer to the question, what does God want me to be doing with my life? think is pretty simple right we think it's complex but I don't think it's that complex so as we live our life as we do the things we enjoy doing or we do the things that we have to do we need to be around people looking for opportunities needs and then when those needs are met and we have an opportunity to share about why who we are we take advantage of those opportunities and share our story you have a story you can share it don't share mine Don't share your neighbors, but share your story. God wants to do amazing things by continually and more and more bringing you to life. Every day more to life. But he also wants to do those very same thing. He wants to bring to life those people who are dead to God around us, who need to hear the good news. So if you're a middle school student or a high school student, maybe God is calling you to reach out and include into your community Someone at school who desperately needs a friend. Maybe if you're in your early 20s and you're starting to get your career on the move, maybe it's fixing the car of one of your coworkers who can't afford to do so, desperately needs that car to get to work. Maybe you've got family and you're kind of well into your career, middle of life, new neighbors, new to Alaska neighbors who have kids. Maybe it's inviting them along camping this summer so that you can share your story. Maybe if you're in your golden years and you're kind of wondering, like, did I, did I pass it by? Maybe it's God is calling you to invest in younger men and women in your life and pass on your experience, your wisdom to them. If we're all willing to give what we have, we'll be able to share what we know so that a new generation will rise up and will find new life in Jesus truly set free 
from the chains of, of the destruction of sin. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your great love for us, Lord, that you, through the ages, from the beginning, and we see renewed in the, the covenant you made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, all the way down to when Jesus came on the scene and he shows us what it means to live a perfect life in front of you, Lord, and that through Jesus Christ we can stand boldly before you, our sins forgiven. Lord, that same faith, that baton has been passed down through other generations to us. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses, people who will simply share about what Jesus has done to us. We all have that story, Lord, and I pray that we would be bold enough and confident enough to share what you have done in our lives. Lord, I pray that through your power, the people who don't know you in our, in our church, in our community, in our world, would come to know you, your amazing grace, your mercy, your love. Lord, you are a powerless God, or a powerful God. You are a, an all-powerful God. Let me just clarify. Nothing is too amazing for you. Healing a man lame, bringing us back to life. And I know you're not done with us yet. Lord, with all of our doubts, with all of our questions, with all of our concerns, our hurts, and our victories, Lord, you want to move us along. You want to walk with us. Help us to grow into what you have created us to be. Help us to be faithful witnesses. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bless you guys.